I just want to start by praying today. Father God, I just want to thank you so much for your word, Lord God. Father, we know that you are the magnificent God of heaven beyond our comprehension. Yet, Father, you make yourself known to us in the person of Jesus and in your words of scripture, Lord God. I pray just this morning as we come just to study and look at Jesus and look at your words in scripture, our hearts would be captivated with the magnificence of who you are and all you have shown yourself to be in a new way this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you turn with me this morning to Luke 8, uh, 40 to 56, where we're going to read from in three parts this morning. And I'm just going to dive in in a second. I'll just give you a second to turn to that. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a, man, then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader. Let's start that again. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus's feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. About two years ago, I was sat in a hospital room with two of my sisters, experiencing one of the bleakest moments of my life. My dad had just been taken for emergency surgery and we've been told in gentle yet really clear terms not to expect him to pull through by the doctor who was leading his care. It was given his current state of health, the extent of infection in his system and the risks of the procedure we were told his odds were incredibly slim. And I won't ever forget the moment, the soulless room and the squeaky green plastic sofa sitting in silence with my sisters. Just a feeling of being utterly helpless overcame me in that moment. There was nothing that I could do to change the outcome of the situation. Nothing I could really say that would comfort my sisters. No skill or resource I had in myself to improve his chances. Uh, all I could do in that moment was to begin one of the longest waits that I had ever experienced. Now, one of the harder truths about the life that we get to live is that my experience of helplessness in this moment is not an uncommon one. In fact, we all will experience moments like this in our lives. Moments that reveal 
the truth about just how frail and just how helpless as people and individuals we actually are. Where we can do or say nothing more to help a situation, where we find ourselves powerless with nothing to give. You know, situations like this, they come in so many forms. You know, it can be being unable to find employment, losing employment, not being able to make our finances marry up, sickness in ourselves and others, addictions, harmful behaviours in others that they just won't stop, abusive behaviours in others that they just won't stop, that we can't make them stop, traumas in our lives that can't be undone. Do you know, these things can leave us with a sense of just bleakness and helplessness. And the Bible doesn't shy away from this very real truth. Here in this passage that we just read, we actually encounter two of the bleakest situations, hope-draining circumstances that you could ever encounter in life. The first of these absolutely breaks my heart as a father of two beautiful daughters when I read it. Here we read that a man's 12-year-old daughter is dying. And despite his status as a leader in the community, he finds himself utterly helpless to deal with his daughter's deteriorating health. Nothing in his religious practice, none of his community links or resources have been able to help his child. Death, we hear, is beginning to grip her. She's going to be taken from him. You know, this passage starts with a terrible, sad, urgent moment that shouldn't be overlooked. This man is literally living through one of my greatest fears as a parent. And then on the back of this, straight away, we are introduced to a second horribly bleak situation. As Jesus begins to go and respond to Jairus' need, a crush of people forms around him in a narrow Middle Eastern street. And we are introduced to a lady with a chronic and incurable illness who is so ashamed she absolutely wants to remain anonymous and hidden in this situation. You know, we get an idea of some of the tragedy of this lady's situation just by the explanation of her condition in this passage. We're told she had been bleeding. She had an unending menstrual cycle for 12 whole years, in which time no one had been able to help her. She had exhausted all the medical knowledge of her day. Some translations here say that she had spent all her living on doctors, every last penny she had to try and solve the issue, but she had had no healing. But to understand the, the full bleakness of her situation, we actually have to understand that in the Jewish culture of the day, this condition meant that all of her personal relationships and all her freedom to live out her beliefs would have been affected by it. In fact, she would have been cut off from all physical care by this condition and affection from those around her. And 
she wouldn't have been able to be a part of the covenant relationship that God had established with the Jewish people. She'd not have been able to participate or engage in any of the worship, any of the festivals, any of the customs of her day. She could have never accessed the temple and the presence of God and never partaken in the sacrifices to receive the forgiveness of God. You see, her condition by Jewish law outlined in Leviticus 15 made her ceremonially, ceremonially unclean unfit to come before a holy God. And it meant that she was never allowed to have a sexual relationship with a man, meaning her chance of a partner and a future family in a culture where this was so important was taken from her. And it meant that anyone she touched or anyone that used something she had used also would be made ceremonial unclean for a time. So people would have given her a wide berth. This was why she waited for a moment of anonymity when she could be hidden in a crowd to seek the help of Jesus. Such was the shame and the embarrassment her condition brought her in this culture. Like so many with chronic illnesses, this condition would have shrunk her world and damaged all of her hopes and dreams and relationships. And she was helpless to change it. What a day at the office this was turning out to be for Jesus. Jairus and this woman were both coming to him in utter desperation, hopelessness, hopelessness and bleakness. So what happens here when Jesus encounters these bleak moments, when helpless people turn to him for help? Well, firstly, we hear what happened when the woman with the bleeding came to him. Let's read on, 8, 44 to 49. As she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When everyone denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing about you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, it's seeing that she could not go unnoticed, that she couldn't stay hidden, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. So when she reached out for Jesus, two things happened here. Firstly, Jesus heals the woman that no one else can heal. Here we read without even turning his head, just by the woman reaching out and touching him, coming into his presence, power that no one else possessed came from him and healed her completely and instantly. The chronic was instantaneously cured. Secondly though as well, we see here that Jesus removes all of the social stigma and barriers that would have faced this woman in his response. We read here that after this woman, who 
clearly did not want to be seen by anyone, who had tried to be faceless in a crowd, was healed. Jesus publicly identified her. Do you know, at first when I read this story, this felt like Jesus was being a bit cruel to me. Why would you expose this woman who is so clearly and deeply embarrassed by her condition? Why would you make her tell her story publicly? That's just uncomfortable for her. But Jesus in this moment wasn't being cruel. He was forever changing her public identity. He was removing an identity of shame and blockage from the community and instead showing her, reforming her to be one who had been healed and blessed by God. This needed to be publicly known for a complete healing to take place, for both a physical and a social healing to take place. And all of the implications of this woman's ailment were undone. I love more than anything the closing line of his interaction with this woman here, where he refers to this woman as publicly his daughter. Daughter, what a word of care. He had the same love for this woman in her chronic state of illness and isolation, the same compassion as Jairus had for his daughter. Although this moment would have been a horrible holdup for the desperate Jairus, for, this, for Jesus this was no interruption, no holdup at all. Why? Because of how much he loved this broken, unclean woman. To him, he was just tending to his daughter's needs. So that's what happened to the woman when she came to Jesus. How about Jairus and his daughter? Well, we see that if Jairus had found this woman's intrusion frustrating at first, in a moment, he must have found it utterly devastating. You know, let's read on 8, 49 to 56. Firstly, 49. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Oh, can you imagine? Can you imagine how Jairus would have felt in this moment? Lord, what you did for that woman, that was great. But whilst you were delayed helping your daughter, my daughter died. Could you not have gone a bit faster? Could you not have hurried up? Could you not have done it in my timing? His world would have simply folded in in this moment. But even as this situation gets darker and all semblance of hope seems to dry up, Jesus responds like this. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. 
Now, when Jesus is faced with death here, his response is so different to the world around him. And like others in this story, Jesus doesn't just wail, make a scene, nor does he respond with despair or hopelessness like Jairus' uh, servant. Instead, he responds to this girl's death in a way that is laughable to those that have already seen her body, saying simply, pack in your wailing. She's not dead, but merely asleep. You know, Jesus here is not just being offhand or irritated with the noise of those who are mourning. He's telling us what death is to him. Where to us it is the final say, the inevitable end of all things. To him, the king of kings, it's no more than sleeping. No more difficult to overcome than waking someone up on a morning. Such is his power and authority. And so taking a few of his closest followers and the girl's desperate parents, he takes the girl by the hand and invites her to wake up from sleep. And she is healed. Her spirit that had gone returned to her. But note here that after this, Jesus does the exact opposite in healing this girl than he has just done for the woman who was bleeding. Rather than making it uh, public for all to see, he actually holds back the published knowledge of this healing and sticks to the private. Why? Well, in good time, this healing would be known. It'd be written down in the Bible. For now, what did this little girl need? What did this daughter need? Well, she needed some food and her parents' love after a fairly rough day. Her needs for complete restoration were intimately different from the woman we've just read about. What a day. Do you know, I love this encounter with the two daughters and what it teaches us about who Jesus is. In both these situations, two people were utterly hopeless, had no hope at all in human terms. But they became full of awe, of healing and thankfulness as they met with Jesus. To meet with Jesus was to meet with the true and authentic power and magnificence of God that turned mourning into dancing, that overcame all hopelessness all barriers to God, and in the end, defeated death itself. I love what it teaches us about Jesus' willingness to help those in need. I love how it teaches us that he is happy to be interrupted as he goes about his business. The bleeding woman here was not an irritation to him, not something to be feared or shunned, but a daughter to help. I love how he shows he loves the isolated outcast. I love how it shows that he cares deeply for the individual needs of people. Food for the 12 year old, time with the family and public restoration for the woman. And I love how it shows that he is king of death, able to awake in this life or the next and that dying in his presence is actually just like sleeping. Nothing to fear. This was something that his early church, right the way through Acts, understood so well. 
That is the Jesus we encounter here. One who is happy to meet us in our helplessness. One who is happy to help and able to help. And the good news, the gospel, is that Jesus is alive to be met in this way today by the Holy Spirit. The one who he said he sent to continue his work on behalf of him. Passage like John 14 and Acts 1 verse 8 teach us this. That the Holy Spirit has come to teach about him, to guide into truth about him and continue to do the things that he did. Do you know, one person, I came across this great story that um, came to know this intimately you know, hundreds of years later from this event was a man called Smith Wigglesworth, the Yorkshire-born plumber and preacher. He was born in 1859 and from a very young age, he had to use salts to ease an embarrassing case of hemorrhoids that plagued him every day. He suffered with this, unable to do anything about it until he was in his 40s. When after one church meeting, uh, you know, not unlike this one today, well, maybe a bit more uh, human contact, he was struck with the belief and faith that Jesus could do something about it. So he prayed with the visiting pastor that morning that Jesus would send his Holy Spirit to heal him. And from that day forth until the end of his life, he never suffered from hemorrhoids again. And clearly, he was happy to tell everyone about it. You know, this was an embarrassing, chronic problem that he was helpless to do anything about, yet Jesus helped him. If you face a hopeless situation right now, he wants to treat you like he did these two daughters. He wants to show you his power to overcome, that God is king over every situation, and that even when you're completely powerless, he is completely powerful. That's the message of this story. Who Jesus is to be shown in this encounter, who he is in the Bible, and one of the many reasons that my heart loves just to follow him and call him my king. But I wanna finish with this today. Jesus loves to help and intervene with God's power and love when we are helpless, but, Jesus doesn't say that he overcomes in your life by you sitting on your hands and doing nothing. Do you know, there will have been other sick children on the day that Jesus heals Jairus' daughter and other chronically ill, socially isolated people in the town in which this woman who was healed, who didn't get to know this Jesus as he passed by. The passage is clear here that Jairus' daughter and the woman with the chronic illness only get a slot in the Bible because they took a step of faith. I'll just read verse 48. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And verse 50, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe and she will be healed. You see, both of these people had a seed of understanding, a seed of belief. If they just went to Jesus, now all other options had failed, he could help them. It was this that led them to go into his presence. 
acting on a simple and childlike belief that Jesus could help. You know, we have a tendency in our culture to uh, approach childlike belief like this, cynically. If we ever do step forward for help, uh, it's as someone with a heart that demands proof, not as someone responding to the spark of trust in our spirits. And all too often, instead of fanning the early signs of faith in our lives into flame, we instead quench the flame of faith at the point it delicately, delicately starts to ignite in us. Our internal dialogue says things like, don't be silly. That's a religious outdated superstition. But by doing this, we pour water on those first flames of trust in who Jesus is. That if followed was bring us into his magnificent, pre magnificent presence. The message here is that if we do this, we become like those who never enter the story of Jesus, rather than like Jairus and the woman with chronic illness. Those who come to know the hope and the power and the love that is found for them in meeting him through all situations in life. God bless you.